Lord, I know you're touching people. I want to hear some testimonies because we believe you for these things, right? It's not just a, just a we're going on a whim here. It's, it, we believe these things, right? Um, there's a line in one of the songs that the team was singing this morning in Greater You, God. It says, and all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. And I've read that, sang that, and I go, okay, Lord, uh, I don't know how my tongue or my voice box is connected to my bones, <laughs> right? But at the very core, I want, I want praise to come out of me, right? I want praise to come out of me. But there is a connection, right? We got a jawbone, <laughs> so we can move that to be able to sing. So there's a natural side of that. And I was thinking about it as we go into uh, this portion of our worship service. Um, we actually give to the Lord, right? What he has given us, we give back to his kingdom for all the goodness. And, and there is, maybe going a little roundabout way, but at our, at our very core, sometimes we think, oh, that's the spiritual side. We can praise Jesus. We can read his word. We can pray together. But there is a side, too, a connection, um, just as our bones will sing, seems a little bit distant from each other. There is also a side that our hearts will give and will give financially to the Lord, right? Because when we give our life to the Lord, it all belongs to him, right? It's all his. And so I just want to challenge us this morning um, that there is a connection there. Just as our bones will sing, seems pretty far from each other, I want this to be a revelation in our lives that even as we give of our finances, that through that, it frees us up from hanging on to things that's really his anyway for miracles and healings. And as we proclaim the declaration this morning, um, going to the nations, it's way beyond just changing my life, right? It's, it's making an impact on the kingdom and changing people's lives from all over the world. Amen. So let's stand as we go into the offering here. Amen. As we receive today's offering, we are believing you for heaven open, earth invaded, storehouses unlocked, miracles created, dreams, visions, angelic visitations, anointings, giftings, divine manifestations, faith increased, heaven's declarations, provisions and resources to go to the nations, souls and more souls from every generation, saved and set free, carrying kingdom revelation. Thank you, Father, that as I join my value system to yours, you will shower favor, blessings, and increase upon me so that I will have more than enough to co-labor with heaven to see Jesus get his full reward. Hallelujah. Amen. Also, we would like to, as we're kind of closing this time of the offering, uh, we want to be reminded of our kids. Uh, as we talked about... Um, Reaching from every generation, right? We want to be reminded that there's, there's several generations right here in our body. And we have teachers that are sowing into these kids, uh, believing God that, that the Holy Spirit will move on their lives. And so we want to just spend a little bit of time just gathering around the kids and praying for them. One moment, please. knew it. I felt, actually, I felt like giving an altar call, <laughs> but I didn't need to. During worship, I was just like, you know what? I think, come on up. I didn't need to. God was already speaking. Not so good. Come on up. We got another testimony too? <laughs> we'll see. What's your name? Wyatt. Wyatt. So Wyatt, what happened this morning? I, yeah. Okay. Um, I got to go over to my aunt's house over there, 
And I yesterday, I had a pretty rough day. I got lost from God, and it was pretty rough. And so today, decided to... It feels so much better after having been prayed for by Gary and Doug. No, wait. Dave, got it. I, I can't remember. All right, so. Gary and Dave, it helped me feel so much closer to God, and it helped me feel lightened and more free than I have in a while. nephew okay all right that's so so good um yeah thank you lord yeah let's pray over Wyatt father I just thank you lord you are the good father you are our heavenly father and god you just as we sang this morning um you actually chase after us with open arms and you put a ring on our finger and a robe on our back lord and you you say, let's have a feast. So I just thank you, Lord, uh, for Wyatt. We just lift him up. We just ask, Father, that your presence would just be so close to him, that he would sense your presence wherever he's at, Lord. I ask Jesus that there would be a desire uh, to get into your word uh, as he studies scriptures, that they would come alive as they are, that, Jesus, you would reveal yourself to your uh, through your word, and also just in the everyday, just talking with him. I believe um, Jesus wants to be your best friend, Wyatt. Uh, as others have let you down, Jesus will never let you down. And uh, I just thank you, Lord, uh, for new life. That the old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness, empowerment, and transformation. We just speak this over Wyatt's life. Just continue to work in him and um, in the way you do. Conform him into your image, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Yeah. yeah. God's always one step ahead of the game. <laughs> so good. We want to pray for the kids right now. So if there's um, some kids in your row or around you, um, we're going to lay hands on them and pray for them. Yes, Lord. Father, I just thank you so much for these kids. I thank you, Lord, for Wyatt's testimony. He says he was just having a rough day, and then he found you. Lord, you just, you make all things new. You give us new lenses. I just lift up these teachers this morning that have studied and prayed, and you put these kids on their heart, Lord. I just ask, Father, that uh, they would become like you, Jesus, as they're sharing you and your kingdom and praying and, and listening, that these kids' uh, spiritual eyes would be opened up, that they would know, Lord, that you care and that you love them because of these volunteers and teachers that have just been pouring into them. Lord, and I ask that the scriptures this morning wouldn't just be uh, a verse to memorize, to get a graham cracker or whatever it might be, but, Lord, that it would be, like your word says, just deep and powerful and dividing soul and spirit, active and alive. We ask this in Jesus' name. Just bless these kids. Amen. Go ahead and start the, the video. Welcome to Vineyard Christian Fellowship. We are so happy to have you with us today. Here are this week's announcements. Every Monday night here at the church, we have intercessory prayer. Come join us to pray for our leaders, community, and our nation. Meet in the North Room at 7 o'clock. Steve and Drew Montgomery will be having a Tenants of Faith 
core values and beliefs class every Sunday morning starting at 9 a.m. Come join us to build your faith and understanding of the foundational truths in God's Word. That's it for this week. Let's continue with the service. Amen. One more thing. Uh, this Wednesday night, I hope that you've signed up. We're having a special Valentine's dinner and with a special speaker, just a special time. And um, it's, it's going to be awesome. So I don't know if there's any room for any latecomers, but um, there's going to be plenty of food. We'll make room. We'll make it happen. There's always room at the Father's table. We know a guy. <laughs> yeah. The time. That's a good one. Is it 630? Oh, six to eight. Six to eight. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'd be ashamed to say that my wife is heading this whole thing up. And I forgot the time. <clears throat> anyway, better listener. Someone's going to talk about marriages, right? Wednesday night and better communication. I'll be there. Well, it's going to be. <laughs> oh. She said an uplifting message, so it'll be fun. It'll be fun. I encourage you, if you can make it, make it, and we'll make it all work. So I'll even share my spaghetti with somebody else if we need to. So. And that's saying a lot. So, My garlic bread? I don't know. Uh, this morning, we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, you know, we have been talking about repentance that leads to revival. Everybody loves revival, but we want to see revival lead to reformation. And, and that's, a, that's a journey, and we're going to go on that. I appreciated Adam's word last week. How many enjoyed Adam sharing? It's wonderful. <clears throat> and I, I asked him to bring that word about the awe of God because if we lose our awe, we can love God, but if we lose that awe of God, we lose a lot. So we have to keep that in focus. But some of the things on the journey of speaking about revival and speaking about reformation, there are some hard topics, but they're things that we need to talk about and we need to hear. You guys know that I'm not a pastor that, gonna, that is going to be preaching sermons that just tickle your ears. I want to challenge you because that's, that is preaching the whole word of God. And one of the things, turn really quickly to Psalms 11.3. And Bob, would you begin to make your way up here, please, brother? Psalms 11.3, out of the King James Version, says, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? I'm going to say that again. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now, there's a tendency to this whole church and state and separation, that's a bunch of baloney. We're called to be kingdom people making kingdom influence, right? We're to, we are called to bring the government of God here on earth. And, and I'm not talking about dominionism. I'm just saying we're called to make a difference. So I believe that as believers, we have a civic duty. And this morning, I've asked Bob to share because this guy has his handle on a, the heartbeat of a lot of things happening in our community. And he's not appeared to offend anybody. He's not here to tell you who to vote for or what. He's just simply saying, you have a responsibility as a believer. Do your part. So, um, you want to come back up, Clyde, real quick? Why don't you guys come up real quick, too? We'll just lay hands on this guy. Not suddenly, but... He's a big guy, so gently. Father, we just thank you for the gift that Bob and Gene are to this body and have been for years. Father, they're part of the footing. They're part of the foundation. I appreciate his heart. I just pray this morning that he would be allowed to, by you, to articulate your heart with clarity, crystal clear clarity, God, like, like a church bell on a cold winter day in the far distance. We would hear the truth. Thank you, God. Mm. And I just pray, God, as always, when we leave here today, we will be changed a little more into your image. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's all yours, buddy. The topic today is politics. 
and uh, <laughs> well, I want to open your eyes so you can see me later. But one of the real issues is that people take it real seriously, and you can't take everything too seriously, so you can't see some of the humor in it. So I'm going to get this out of the way. I'm going to do a dad joke. Uh, dad asks his son, what do you want to be when you grow up? He says, a politician. Dad got a little bit upset, a little concerned. He says, are you insane? Have you lost your mind? Are you a complete moron? And his son says, I've changed my mind. There's too many requirements to be a politician. <laughs> so we've got to look at some humor in it, because if not, it gets really overwhelming and really dark. Um, I know I've threatened to destroy a number of television sets just by throwing rocks at it during the news. Um, so, we need to talk about this here because you all have a part in politics, whether you know it or not. And there's two things that you really don't really want to know how they're made. See if this thing works. Uh, other way. Your left hand. Ah. Sorry, Bob. We were working this We were working at the. Yeah. It beeped. I must have to click it up there. Okay. Well, we'll try and get the slides to catch up. Because there's two things you never want to see how they're made. And one of them is hot dogs. <laughs> and the other is politics. Because there's a lot of things that go on that people don't know about or really don't have an understanding. Like right now, we just had something come out that's supposed to be voted on this Wednesday about um, immigration. They popped out an almost 400-page bill, and you got two days to look at it. So uh, those are some of the tricks that get played. You don't want to see how they're done. But we have to do things. There it is. There. Hot dogs and politics. You don't want to see all the things. You just want to see a finished product. Um, a lot of people don't want to get involved because they look at Romans 13, 1, 2. And I'm going to, this talk today, we're going to try and have it in three parts. Not in harmony, but three parts. One of them is Bible study. Part of it is a civics lesson. Number three is just encouragement. A lot of people don't want to get involved because they just take part of what the word says. And it says in Romans 13, 1, 2, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, who, he who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. Those who do will bring judgment on themselves. With that part of scripture, they just say, well, God put all this together He's in charge. I don't need to be involved. I'm just going to back out. But they leave out the rest of what God says. In Ephesians, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and other authorities 
against the powers of the dark world and against the scriptural forces of evil in heavenly realms. So we are called to stand against this. We're supposed to be visible. We're supposed to do it in the power of God. To really get to what we want to work on here, we really need to establish what this really is and what it was originally intended to do. Um, we used to homeschool. All of our kids are grown and out. But when we started looking at things, we went back to some of the originals to try and give them a good classic education. So one of the things we have on our shelf is the Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Because words, to put it in the quotation of Rush Limbaugh, words mean things. And so what happens is words get changed over time and they're not being used how they were originally intended. Like dope. I always thought that was drugs. But now it's something's really cool. It's dope. And I go, I, I don't understand these things. I remember when gay means you were happy. Um, but the one I still haven't figured out is what Snoop Dogg says is, what's a fascizzle? Uh, so trying to get words to understand what you're trying to convey. So we go to the Webster's Dictionary of Politics, the science of government that puts the part of ethics which consists in the regulation and government of a nation or state for the preservation of safety, peace, and prosperity. That's what the definition was in 1828. Today, what do we go to? What everybody looks at is Wikipedia. What it says now from the ancient Greek affairs of cities is a set of activities that are associated with making decisions in groups or other forms of power relations among individuals, such as distribution of resources or status. I don't find anything in the current definition that looks at safety, peace, and prosperity, which is what the original intent of governing was to be about. So people change it. We need to get back to those classic roots. One of the questions was, is, how are we supposed to do this? Was Jesus even involved in politics? Um, the short answer is yes. He talked to politicians all the time. One of them that he got to know fairly well is Nicodemus. We looked at the book of John 3, verses 1 through 21. And says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Not only was he a Pharisee, he was a part of the Sanhedrin. This discussion that he had, Nicodemus sought Jesus out to ask him about what the meaning of life was about, and they went through a long discussion about being born again. So that was, uh, and Nicodemus being not only a Pharisee, but a, a part of the Sanhedrin, he would be like a senator is today, somebody that is in the power uh, spectrum uh, at a high up level. So Jesus talked to him, and it was during this conversation that we get to the most popular Ah, did we get too far? Ah. There we go. John 3.16 was a part of that conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So that's where that comes from. And it came from a conversation with leadership at the time. One of the few that supported him. 
Because when Jesus was out preaching, this kind of ruffled the feathers of the chief Pharisee. Um, and we look at John 7, 45 through 51. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one, other, no one has spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. You mean he has deceived you also? The Pharisees retorted, have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Here's where the relationship that Jesus established with Nicodemus comes up. Nicodemus, who's gone to the Jesus earlier and who is one of their own member, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him and finding out what he has been doing? So he stood up for him because they had that relationship when everybody else in that leading group wanted to kill him. So um, that wouldn't have happened if Nicodemus and Jesus had to uh, made a connection. And Nicodemus shows up later on when Jesus was crucified. Um, another one, Joseph of Arimathea, asked for Jesus's body to put him in a grave. When you read the details, Nicodemus stood up and brought um, the spices, yeah, the spices to bury him. And it turns out Joseph of Arimathea was also one of the members of the Sanhedrin, the leading class. So Jesus had relationships with politicians, if you will. We need to have that too. I've established a relationship with a state senator that I probably disagree with about 99% of everything that he stands for but we have a mutual respect that I now have a seat at the table, have been picked for a statewide rules advisory committee because I stood in there but made calm, figuratively strong arguments on positions that they were opposed to. So now having that relationship, uh, we need to do that kind of a thing, to, to come into um, a place of being able to speak from God's perspective. Now leadership, which is what politics is all about, it got started during the time of Moses. because uh, they were leaving Egypt. And here in Exodus 18, what happened was that, I've just got too many papers here. But what happened was Moses was trying to do everything. And he just finally ran out of, um, of the ability to do that. And so his father-in-law, took him aside and says here in Exodus, listen now to me and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them how the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all of the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men, who hate dishonest gain and appoint them as officials over a thousands and hundreds and fifties. So here's where representative government got established. With Moses being not able to do everything and his father-in-law says, here, here's the way to try and function is have some help. This is again addressed and Timothy, here's a trustworthy saying, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. 
Now the overseers to be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle and quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must be not a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation uh, with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. The word overseer, when you go back to the original Greek customs, it applied both to religious leaders and people in um, uh, regular uh, civic organizations. So using an overseer, that's something that we have now in our leadership. So we should have leaders because um, we don't want to have kings like they had before. Uh, we want to have a good uh, cross-section of people that can represent us and do good works. Um, now, there's a phrase that comes up that a lot of people will use that say, well, we still can't get involved, even though God says to stand tall, that we come to the civics lesson part of this is the whole issue of separation of church and state. People say that all the time. And in my research, I tried to find out where does that phrase come from? Where is it found? Is it in the Constitution? Is it in the Bill of Rights? Is it in the Declaration of Independence? It's in, in none of those places, but a lot of people think that. Because the whole question of church and state came about because of a letter from Thomas Jefferson to the Danbury Baptist Association of Connecticut. Thomas Jefferson was the third president of the United States. The, the Danbury Baptist Association asked him for help to keep the state from overtaxing them and putting them out of commission. Because at that time, states bringing some of the uh, customs over from England would pick churches that they would support. It used to be the Church of England, but when it came over here, there were places um, that had their own. Um, Virginia was the biggest example. Um, that they would tax smaller churches to support the one that they would uh, feel is the most appropriate. So each state did it differently. And Danbury was afraid that Connecticut was going to put them out of business. And Thomas Jefferson, along with James Madison, had gotten a law adopted in Virginia to stop them from using the Anglican Church as the primary church of Virginia. They passed the law in that church. At that time, the federal government only applied to um, federal issues. They could not come down and tell states what to do. Each state had their own way of doing things. It didn't change until the 14th Amendment after the Civil War in 1868 that the uh, federal constitution was changed by amendment that applied to the individual states. That was called the Equal Protection Act. So all of the states had to come into conformance with the federal um, rules and regulations. And it came down to the First Amendment Congress shall make no law rep, uh, respecting the establishment of religion 
or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging freedom of speech, or of the press, or of the right of people to freely or peaceably assemble, and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. That's when it finally applied to each of the states. The Declaration of Pendant states how the country's government was to be established as the people having rights from God, not from the states. One of the real misconceptions of government is that they give us our rights. They don't. We give the government its rights. Because when we look at the Declaration of Independence, this is where it establishes our claim that God gives us the rights. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among those are the life of liberty and pursuit of happiness. And to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men derived their just powers from the consent of the governed. So the consent of the governed is us. Only those things that we deem to be acceptable should be passed. And where does that come from? The Congress and the leaders that we have. And here is where we got the format for government in the United States. It's from the word. It says in Isaiah, for the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, and the Lord is our king, which relates to Congress, the Supreme Court, and the president. Those three parts are representative of God. But there was such a distrust at that time because of the King of England that there was a lot of discussion of how the United States would be set up and operate. Um, we started with the Articles of Confederation that was adopted in 1777, a year after the Declaration of Independence, um, and it didn't work out real good. So. They went back to the drawing board and said, how are we going to do this? There was another constitutional convention. And so in 17, 1787, they came up with the new constitution based on this pattern. Back to that separation of church and state, one of the concerns is, can we as a church get involved? And a lot of people say, no, you can't. You can't be involved at all because of this separation of church and state. Not true. We can be involved. One of the issues that comes up that keep a lot of people from being involved is the issue of taxes. Because this church, because it's a nonprofit um, 501c3 type of operation, all of your uh, tithes and offerings are tax deductible. Um, the church is not taxed. And in exchange for that, we're not supposed to get involved in politics because that came about in the 1950s because of Lyndon Baines Johnson, who was a um, member of Congress at that time, there was a not-for-profit group that was giving him a hard time because they didn't like his policies. So he got a law passed that if you're a nonprofit, if you don't get involved in politics, you can keep your tax-exempt status. But if you do get involved in politics, your tax exempt status goes away. Not only is it not deductible, but any of your contributors, they have to be listed in public record so they know who's giving. Um, something that we can do still as a church, and uh, we can provide 
general information at any time on politics. You'll notice when we get close to a, a, an election that we have voters' guides out in the foyer, which gives what people's backgrounds are or what their policies are. And that's something that we need to um, pay attention to um, to try and give you the information that you need to have when you make uh, uh, decisions on voting. Right now, there is a, a, a recent um, survey that 70% of the people say this country is headed in the wrong direction. That's something we need to change. And I think we can all agree that we are headed in a direction that's not good. Some people ask, you know, how can we do anything about that? And part of it is to vote and stand up and be counted. Because there's another survey that says there is approximately 60 million evangelical Christians in this country. It's a very big voting block. But the rest of that survey said of those 60 million, 24 million aren't even registered to vote. So I don't, I don't understand why the voice of God from Bible-believing, God-believing Christians don't stand up and take a, take a stand. People just say, well, we're not supposed to. Well, we've seen from the word that that's not true. Um, so we do need to stand up. We do need to um, elect people based on biblical principles. We look at Micah 6 8. It says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you to act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with your God? What would our nation be like if we had these types of leaders? But it's incumbent upon us to do that. Um, some people say, well, God's a Republican or God's a Democrat. Well, he's not. I, I, I have to say, he's not. <laughs> but I looked at my Bible, and I did find this in Ecclesiastes. The heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of a fool to the left. <laughs> so... So part of our responsibility as people that walk out what God calls us to do is for us to know who we're voting for. We're not supposed to just read a pamphlet. We're supposed to not just look at a um, TV ad because they'll tell you anything. We need to find out what people are really like because God warns us here in Matthew, watch for false prophets, for they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you shall recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and bad fruit cannot or a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus by their fruit you shall recognize them. We are to be called fruit inspectors. We're supposed to find out what these people are like that we're voting for. The voters' guides will kind of give some, some indications, but one of our responsibilities is to look into backgrounds, do some research. With the internet now, we can see how people voted in the past. 
what they've done. We need to know their background to be able to figure out who to vote for. One of the questions that people have is, does my vote count? And the real answer is yes. And you really don't know how much really counted until you start doing some research. I found out that during the years 2021 and 2022, there were more than 400 elections that were decided by one vote or were tied. So your one vote can make a difference. And it's even more complex than just that one vote. In Frederick County, Maryland, a vote for a city council, there was a victory by one vote. But when you find out what the background was that even got to that decision, it says there were dozens of ballots that were double scanned. Another four ballots were uncounted and found in a folder later. Three provisional votes were included in the regular vote and one voter had voted early by mail and again on election day. So we need voter integrity as well. We need to make sure that the vote is accurate and correct. And people don't pull funny things. Sometimes you find uh, when you look at the voters' rolls that there's 40 people registered at one address. How is that happening? How is that occurring? That's why we need to figure that out, but we need to vote. One of my favorite presidents is Ronald Reagan. And I'll give you some quotes from him because it kind of helps put this all in perspective. Remember that every government service, every offer of government financed security is paid for with the loss of personal freedom. In the days to come, whenever a voice is raised telling you to let the government do it, analyze very carefully to see whether that suggested service is worth the personal freedom which you must forego in return for such service. How many times do you see a bond measure or something that they're asking government, asking for you to finance or do? One of the craziest things that pops up in my mind, and I've seen it even here in the state of Oregon, is we're gonna build a grand new baseball stadium and we want you, the public, to finance it. Why are we financing private enterprise doing anything? Another quote from Ronald Reagan, the nine most terrifying words in the English language is, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. <laughs> Here's a very sobering one. Freedom is always just one generation away from extinction. We don't pass it on to our kids, our children in the bloodstream. We have to fight for it and protect it and then hand it to them so they will be able to do the same. Or we're going to find ourselves spending our sunset years telling our children and our children's children about a time in America back in the day when men and women were free. Truer words were never spoken. And a last quote. The American dream is not that every man must be level with every other man. The American dream is that every man must be free to become whatever God intends he should become. With the things that are going now with equity, they're all looking for a even outcome, they're not looking at freedom. It's been perverted, needs to change. And to do this in the best way to have it change, to have godly people vote.
go to the ballot box and do what you can to vote. Um, if you're not registered to vote, you need to do that now. I've got some to fill out here if you're not registered. After service, Steve is, has a button that has a QR code on it, and you can go there to register to vote online. Another thing is to check your registration. With the motor voter bill, many people that have been registered for one party or another, they've gone to DMV to get some new tags or something, they go back and find out their registration has changed. You need to check your registration. The next election is April 29th, so it's coming up here fairly soon. So we need to have people get registered to vote. Now, I can't tell you how to vote. Doug can't tell you how to vote, but we're going to try and provide the best education we can of what are the godly principles that come up that undergird a person's um, look at life, how they would, as a leader, represent you. But there's more to it than just voting. There's other opportunities for you to be involved in bringing God's kingdom here now. And it starts with leadership and in the options that are out there. You can volunteer for committees and commissions. They're all over the place. Counties and cities are begging for people to stand up and go on a commission. And they have a wide variety of things depending on what your um, interests are. You can go from a, a planning commission to a parks commission to um, help for the elderly. They're always looking for help. I'm, I would encourage if you have the stamina and the drive to do it is to run for some kind of an office. Because one of the most critical ones today are the school boards. L look at the decisions that are being made in your school boards today. I know I went to a lot of them in the district that I live in. And not only do they deal with the whole thing of equity, but they're looking at the whole things of transgender boys and girls bathrooms, um, all kinds of things. What kind of curriculum is being chosen to uh, teach your children? The school boards are the ones that make that decision from lists provided by the state, but we need to get at the state level as well to try and change those attitudes. Um, and one of the easiest things to do is to write your legislators. They're always looking for input of what you feel about an issue or a topic. And right now, the legislature is back in session. If you can, pick up whatever you, you, you need to, to educate yourself. There's a, a thing called OLIS, which is a listing of all the things that are going on in Salem. Right now, there's a Senate bill, SB 1538, where they're trying to put a limitation to call it discrimination if you keep certain books out of schools and libraries. And some of those books are horrific. A lot of them are sexual in nature. Some of them are advocating for minors to have sexual relations. Do you really want that kind of information being placed in curriculum and in libraries? Those kind of bills need to be stopped. And so we're going to try and make information available to you if, if we can. Uh, the problem is much of this stuff is very 
timely in nature. I found out about this bill, I think, on Friday. It's coming up for a public hearing on Tuesday. So I'm in the middle of writing a letter right now to the committee that will be considering that, but also to my local um, representative so they will know what the issues are. Um, I know this isn't a, a, a topic that we want to deal with, but it's something that um, if we don't, the enemy is going to take it over and we will see everything just fall to pieces. Like I said, this country, even 70% of the people feel it's going in the wrong direction. We need godly men and women to stand up and make your voices heard. We need to move toward a, a, a better community. Um, start local and move up. I think um, if there's any questions, I'd be happy to answer them. Um, we'll still meet kick kick off at 3:30. I, I think I'm about done. I'm about done. So, I, and if you want um, one of the uh, registration forms, I have them here, and also the QR codes. See Steve after service, and um, I really have to hand it to Doug to. Um, give me the microphone and there was no pre um, limitations on anything um, no wonder you're leaving or <laughs> 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 stepping down at no uh, this is a man whose heart is after God and he doesn't want things to just be the status quo he wants a better life for you and me a better kingdom of God now. And it takes us to stand up and do something. Thank you. That was a powerful word. What frustrates me is when you start, you meet someone on the street and you start talking and it instantly goes towards some governmental decision that was made and they rant and rant and rant for about 30 minutes. It's kind of like one of those, thank you for letting me listen to you. And, and then you finally go, well, did you vote? Oh, I don't vote. Who vote? That's just, are you kidding me? If you're going to complain, you better be in the loop. If you're not going to vote then you probably should just be quiet, unfortunately. But at the end of the day, Bob's right. You know, for a lot of years, and this is kind of where we're going to go with our message this year, is we spent a lot of time leading people to Jesus. But the capital C Church spent very little time discipling nations. What happened was, is we're out there preaching Jesus, and, and we'll break this all down, but there was a time when that was, do you know Jesus? Are you saved? It was all about a salvation message. But at the end of the day, the world, the world caught on to discipling, and they discipled a whole nation. They indoctrinated them. We have universities full of these young people and educators who've been indoctrinated by the enemy. And that's who is in our government right now. A lot of those people, yes, there's believers there, but there's still a lot of people in there that at some point in the day, we need to figure this out. We need to begin to disciple nations in the ways of God. Amen? So? My, my wife asked me if I was going to have an altar call. Okay, all of you unregistered people, <laughs> Can we, can we, can we do, no. Let's, yeah. Yeah, there you go, there you go, there you go. I know this is, you know, sometimes we have to share these things, and some people are like, but I'm telling you, we all need to hear this. We all need to be involved. We all have a part to play. This is what I would call such a time as this, and every one of us has been called 
to stand tall in this moment in all different ways, shapes, and forms. Amen? So let's stand tall. Stand up, if you would. And Bob, you want to close us in prayer, brother? Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be alive and well here in this nation. We know there's lots of problems, but we know you're bigger than each and every one of them. And each of us has a part to play in bringing your kingdom close. So, Lord, I just pray that you would open hearts and minds and give people the drive to step out knowing that they're doing your work. So bless them, and we just give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you. Uh, If you help pick up a chair, that'd be awesome.